Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropeneurs of the regenerative movement, people who are committed to and showcase qualities of planetary leadership. My name is Julian Guderlei. I'm a transformational coach, a breathwork teacher. I'm committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. I'm your host and creator of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And in today's episode, my guest is David Brower. From Beverly Hills through Hollywood to Paris, discovering his emotional energy powers in facing life's greatest anxieties and challenge. Meanwhile, pursuing the life he most wanted, he most wanted to live, that's his, because we are our own purpose. David believes in living life to the fullest, appreciating what is and creating joy. He is the creator of a lifefulness, a high-performance life program, and sensorial intelligence and living, living in a lifefulness. So with these words, welcome to this episode. Welcome, David. Thank you, Julian. This is great. Looking forward to this. <laughs> yes, I'm really excited to you know dive deep into the topic of a lifefulness and living from a sensorial intelligence. Let's maybe start right there because you know those are words not, not everyone is coming across all the time. So can you unpack this for us, like living from our sensorial intelligence? Yeah, sure. If you think about it, you know the Montserrat school for kids? There's a lot of sensory yeah. things that are used to teach and to learn and to share and communicate and connect with yourself, with others, to have fun with. And so you're very connected to artistic expression, to uh, creating, to uh, imagining, to all these different things that, for me, get us out of our head. And so sensorial intelligence is almost a way of mixing an intelligence onto a, an initial layer, a fundamental layer of us actually allowing our senses to experience the world. Um, I've found that most people have a little bit of a trouble, I do too, this is probably why I've been chasing this, to actually be able to let my senses fully experience life, uh, mm. to fully take in the good, bad, and the ugly, when something smells bad, when something doesn't taste so good, uh, when I'm curious about something that's making me feel kind of strange. And then also like the whole notion that the only way, the only way really you can get present in life is if you come back to your senses. If you come back to the sensations you're having, because otherwise we're lost in this loop of thought, which is very easy for us to do. We go there and time passes and life passes and our relationships pass and all the problems. And then we suddenly wake up and we've completely gone on autopilot. And, you know, at the end of the day, I just want to love life and share that with other people and get the most, you know, pleasure, which is a bad word today, it seems. Uh, out of life, but I want to have pleasure with purpose. Mm. And I realized that by training my senses more, it's stretching them, allowing them to let me experiment and be in the world in a way where sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes, uh, you know, I'm worried what someone thinks, sometimes whatever, to kind of move through those by allowing myself to let the sensation exist. It's really like a living meditation, you know, using real life to actually train yourself to grow. Mm -hmm. A lot of people like are that. going, you know, a lot of people are going to ashrams or different places. And I've, I've done that, uh, but you're going to a sensory deprivation situation versus a sensory stimulation situation, like a big city or, or somewhere. So I've 
I really wanted to create this and grow into this for my own reasons to be able to focus and concentrate better and be more aware and be more present, be more noticing, be more observing. There's so much beauty in life. We're surrounded by it, you know, everywhere, in spite of what's going on in the world today or anytime. And to be able to manage that better is really like a living, walking, sensorial meditation. Mm. And to bring yourself into that moment, getting used to triggering that, you suddenly start to smell the flowers as you're going along in life. You suddenly start to enjoy every single meal and everything that you're eating. And you, so you choose differently when you go eat. You choose a different path to go home because it's prettier. You know, you, you start to really savor and appreciate life in a deeper way, not just a superficial fashion. Yeah. And suddenly your life is full of multiples of beautiful moments that are integrated right into your, into your life, which that's what I want. I mean, you know, I want to mix sort of pleasure and purpose. It's almost like we were talking earlier about getting around Paris. I mostly use uh, my own bicycle now to get around Paris. So I'm on one side, I love bicycling, so much fun. I wind in my hair, all my senses are feeling things. At the same time, I'm using my body mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, I love that feeling and I'm getting in really wicked shape. My stomach looks amazing for a man of 52. And, you know, I suddenly realized that, wow, we can actually use real life to, to uh, be like the joy mechanism that we're seeking, the happiness mechanism and get rid of and thwart off I'm sure you've heard about hedonic adaptation. Mm-hmm. Now we would just get sucked into a, uh, a autopilot of living. Yeah. And so yeah, sensorial yeah. intelligence is a way of using some steps to actually bring yourself into a living real world meditation. So you actually start loving life in the little moments in everyday daily life. You're not just waiting for the weekend. You're not just waiting for the massage. You're not just waiting for the retreat. You're actually drawing way more out of, uh, out of the present moment. And for me, it's like he or she who uh, appreciates and savors life the most, daily life the most, is the one that really, you know, wins and succeeds uh, at life for me. Yeah, beautiful. I love how you, you know, unpack that quite meaningfully. I... Yeah, I think there's a few things we want to, we, I pinned in this, in, in, in this presentation you just shared so we can come back to them. But I want to context this with this world of, you know, quarantine and lockdown that people have gone through with the coronavirus and the pandemic. But then also, you know, in California, Australia, we've experienced really like um, severe and devastating fires. And the reason why I want to context this is because I think now more than ever, the skill of resilience and understanding to face the challenges, but finding aliveness in this is, it's a leadership skill. It's a quality of, of, you know, of, of, of guiding oneself and others. But really, like, I hope every human being finds their own access to a sensory aliveness, receptivity, as you said, coming back into the now, letting the screen behind us, letting our mind behind us. Um, yeah, what's maybe your... <laughs> You know, those are always, always fun to ask, like your one tip, what's maybe your one, <laughs> one tip for, for people listening? Like what's an easy way of no matter how dire a situation might look on the outside to come back to your senses in, you know, not just a meditative way, but a fun and alive way. 
you know, use everyday life. Uh, I can't, I can't express some more, uh, you know, think about your five senses all the time and wherever you're going, try and find a way to trigger that, have an alarm on your phone. Um, you know, every time you walk out of your apartment, your house to go to work, first thing is, you know, go through your five senses. What are you smelling? What are you seeing? What are you hearing? Um, and even differentiate a bit the hearing, for example. So you're walking down the street, only try and listen to the cars. Then only try and listen to the birds. Then only try and listen to the people that are walking around you, their voices, et cetera. And then let it blend together. And little by little, what you're doing is you're, uh, you're training yourself to be able to reconnect with your senses and the sensations uh, that you are experiencing in everyday life. Um, instead of getting lost in a thought pattern somewhere, come back to your senses. You may want to just scrape your hand and feel and look at your hand. Like whoever looks at their hand anymore? I mean, literally, like, does anyone ever look at their hand? I totally look at my so, hand. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to look at In meditation, I usually kid. guide people outside of their mind again into their hand. But, but yeah, it's, that's a good point. That's funny. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's really, I just, again, I want to make everyday life the training ground, the living ground. This is where it's happening for me. So that's one way. And I use food a lot mm. uh, since I live in Paris, France, and I cook amazingly and I do live events around connecting people and uh, pleasure and, and connection with self and all these different things. And uh, for me, cooking and food is one of the greatest mechanisms to use to bring you into a presence. But like with anything else, if you're not able to focus and guide your awareness mm. uh, to stay present, to give you enough time to actually let your senses experience something, if you don't slow down enough, uh, you know, and you also don't, once you've slowed down, uh, you know, for example, smell. Smell is like 70% of taste. Smell. 70% of taste, right? Wow. So who actually lifts their plate and smells, you know, for like 30 seconds before you eat because it, it changes completely your experience of, of what it's That's like. That's a really good, like, real life tip is like before you eat, you know, if you pray, pray. If you don't, then just be silent and connect. But just simply breathe, smell, sit there. Like what's a and minute? Like if food's not going to get cold, right? Yeah, it, it's, that's yeah. a great one. And observe the beauty. You know, of course, you can get into appreciation about where the food come from and who's behind it. That's, that's great. But even more superficially, if I can say it that way, to actually sit there and, and notice and observe like the plating uh, and the beauty of the colors and the mix of and variety and diversity and texture and, and the shine and the, you know, try and zoom in. It's kind of like putting on an HD camera. And this sounds a lot of people are like, oh my God, you know, it's like, well, let me tell you, you know, when someone does culinary arts or, you know, you eat something that's so beautiful, it's like breathtaking, unless you're super jaded and you're kind of just like, you know, you know, life is not beautiful. Life is not, are you kidding? Like in your plate three times a day or two times a day, it can be really beautiful, whether you're at home or whether you're uh, out. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I say make every moment special around food the way that you sit at your table, the utensils that you use. You know, I use very nice silverware. 
I use, uh, I use fabric napkins from Basque country in France, which are these gorgeous mm. color striped napkins, not paper ones. I never put plastic on my table. And I do everything possible when I eat alone to sit properly as if I'm sitting with somebody and to feel what it's like to actually savor a moment that's actually a celebration. Mm. It's a qualitative moment. It's like a qualitative presence you know? exercise, right? Which, you know, you're... It, it's beautiful how you're explaining that, David. I'm like right there with you on, on, the, on the table. It's, you know, there are so many scientific pointers about how important it is for us to slow down, to appreciate deeply to practice gratitude uh you know as you said like explore our qualia our sense perception right yeah. um and yet i think we we largely trained ourselves as a society as individuals you know obviously depending on how that lands for you as a person listening but we trained ourselves and each other to have this mindless pleasure this like quick and fast external stimulation and i think maybe that's why pleasure and and gratitude sometimes have a bad rep because we we trained ourselves to get it through the addiction machine of beautiful instagram photos or or fast swipey experiences but what mm -hmm. you're advocating for and i love this is is quite the opposite is like deeply consciously slowly through breath through attention through maybe elongating a moment in time taking in the full sensory load of what life has to offer yeah and it's what is great for at least my experience is that when you start to notice more observe more savor more and you start to externalize what you're experiencing right so you start to um, express not just i like this or this tastes good it's like well say like two other layers of that i like this because um, the texture of the calamari uh, is off the charts, this chewiness about it. Um, I just love that feeling in my jaw, kind of what that's, what that's like. And the spiciness of the sauce. Uh, I mean, look at the color of this red. It's like a red rust orangey kind of thing. So suddenly as you start to externalize and share with others, you start to enrich in their life from your own experience. And you start to be kind of a... Uh, an impresario or kind of a like a leader so to speak around the table because you're just externalizing what you're experiencing and so much of life today is like we've we've closed off in so many ways to to that that we have you know so many troubles in couples in uh, you know in companies between people because they've kind of closed off from letting themselves externalize what they're experiencing emotionally of course but also through their senses for me it's very connected so the more that we're able to do that and know what we like and don't like, we get way more clarity about who we are. I'm very clear about my preferences and my likes and dislikes around foods and all these kinds of things. I'm probably a bit of a pain in the ass for most people. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, it's, it's that bringing yourself to have the discipline of using meals as a meditation make it a ceremony, make it a ritual, make it a practice, use it as the trigger to bring you into the moment. And it will start to make the other parts of your life similar, the way that you walk to work, when you're with a colleague, um, when you're at the gym. So things become less transactional and functional. Like suddenly we're on the path and to more real. pleasure with purpose, yeah, right? We're not just, you know, it's not just about streamlining or, 
you know uh, you see that's that's another culture we had or, is like being the first streamlining <laughs> hacking getting there quick but really it's about going deeper and and arriving in in presence here's another one for for you which is um i remember this being shared by eckhart tolle a long while ago but it's so relevant mm. in the times of corona he says every time you go wash your hands take 20 extra seconds and become aware of all the movements you do wow. and become present in washing your hands right which wow. um, is so simple but now especially that everyone is urged to wash their hands maybe an extra 10 seconds it's the great way i've actually practiced this at airports a lot when there's a lot of stimulation around you you go use the washroom and you just wash your hands 40 60 seconds you keep soaping and foaming them and as you're moving and you're becoming aware of your, each of your fingers and you're completely, it's not like you're shutting out the world around you, but you're just becoming so connected to, yeah, as you said, like oneself, myself, my preferences, my thoughts, my openness and my closeness, right? And so from that place, navigating who I interact with and how I can bring uh, love or kindness or compassion to others is, is quite a bit easier actually. Yeah, it's a great example. The hand washing is great. That's, that's exactly, that's exactly it. Mm. And it seems so ridiculous, all, a lot of these things, but that's why I think mixing it also with things that bring you pleasure is, you know, cause I think pleasure has really gotten a bad word today in the sense that, you know, you can't, you can't live a pleasurable life and be productive. I'm like, are you kidding? Mm. Um, you know, isn't that the sweet spot? You know, that's the sweet uh, spot. At least it is for me, you know, so if we interesting pursuit there sorry to jump in but it yeah it, not it, at all pleasure and addiction have gone hand in mm -hmm. hand in people's association and so uh, pleasure is uh, something dangerous like guilty pleasures like having another another bite of chocolate but mindlessly just like cramming it in or, or whatever it whatever it might be right and and so um yeah i i think when we bring purpose to the equation it changes context and you said it like it, it, the, the hand washing example might be silly or ridiculous to some, but, but really that's the stuff of real life. And like, aren't we here to live the real life um, fully? Because when we do, a complete different set of possibilities becomes, becomes real, a complete different way of relating to earth, to each other, to the economy, to the yeah. way we are productive uh, emerges, right? Absolutely. And until we can reconnect through our senses again, I don't, I think we're going to have trouble coming back to ourselves and be present. And when we're not present, we're not with the people we're with. And so we make really bad decisions because we're half of our brain is there because the other half is caught in some kind of crazy loop. And frankly, I mean, when I was younger, I had a lot of trouble uh, concentrating, you know, and I still do in some ways. And this is why I practice as much as I can uh, this and also i love what you're saying about the impulsiveness uh, like the addictive impulsiveness this is also why if you practice more stretching your senses you give yourself a way more larger range like a rainbow of choice instead of it being it's either on or off now some people have a situation where that's just not possible it's not it's not really reality for them but if i feel for the large majority of us we can actually enlarge our capacity to um, let ourselves sensorially experience something without consuming it. 
So going into an incredible baker shop and smelling the bread and the chocolate and the pastries and the butter and actually, you know, either not buying something or buying just, you know, baguette or something. And so the more you train yourself in, in those types of real, again, real life examples like that with a purpose and an intention and, you know, you don't just get ambushed by the situation. You go and say, this is actually a practice. It's actually a life training. Then you can allow yourself to go into any bakery around the world. And it's, you have suddenly pulled back your choice, your personal agency, and apply this now to alcohol, um, sex, or, you know, porno, masturbation, whatever, whatever, whatever all these kinds of different yeah. kinds of things, right? All of those sort of self drugs yeah, included, like the moment we can pull back and yeah. observe and experience what's actually happening in us before we compulsively act a complete new set of possibilities arises, right? Choice. You've suddenly pulled back choice. Mm. I mean, who doesn't want to have, everyone's talking about freedom. Well, this is, this is a large part of what the freedom is. And I just, I just don't want to accept, even though I've studied quite a bit uh, Buddhism and the spiritual practice of that, and I've met the Dalai Lama and went to Dharamsala, you know, and I, I went and did a, the, the, the 10-day silent retreat, Vipassana, you know, which is an arduous, kind of thing and it's all about humans inability to be able to um, not get upset about being attached to something and not getting it or not wanting something and pushing it away but it coming into their lives and so we're constantly in this game um, which creates at least according to them misery and my take on this is okay there's a little bit of misery but as you train yourself in savoring and appreciating life and what what you already have and some things work out and some don't my heart is way too into life to not go for things and to rationalize myself out of it maybe not to experience it i prefer to face disappointment and you know at the risk of having something of living something than to say it's you know it's either on or off does that make sense you know it makes so total sense. yeah i think I think I don't, I don't re usually go down the, the rabbit hole of it's just on or off or black or white. Um, you know, I've, I've said this before, like life comes in, in thousands of shades of gray um, in all the colors. And yeah. I'm with you on the notion of contrast, like without experiencing a contrast, something difficult mm -hmm. or challenging or a disappointment, I wouldn't know what I actually enjoy or like or love or desire right so i think contrast itself plays a very important role in life um, i am a firm believer that choice is ultimately kind of the agency we have in this experience mm -hmm. of life and so yeah stretching the 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 sensorial body like literally if you think of yoga or you know i, I practice a lot of uh, kundalini yoga since a long time and uh, different mm -hmm. modalities like that it's referred to as well as like stretching into the body glove. So the spirit takes a glove on and the glove is the body. And every day that we stretch into it and inhale and exhale, we're, we're actually augmenting and widening that ability to perceive and receive and also have this agency in the middle where we can say, okay, no, thanks to this. Or like, yes, more of this, please. Right. Whatever it is, if it's, um, the smell of a bakery, which is such a beautiful example, because I think there's probably no human uh, listening or on this planet who hasn't at some point smelled, you know, flour or baked goods or whatever it is. And yeah, so I very much resonate with that. The ability to um, 
look at what is and find appreciation, joy, or just a clear observation. I think it's very important, especially in the times we're in. It's 2020, right? We're going into a decade that, that wants us as humanity to collaborate. This decade wants us to uh, leverage massive regenerative action. And so we will need this resilience of looking at things that don't look so good or uh, that are quite uncomfortable from global pandemics to global weather catastrophes to global warming or sea levels rising. None of this looks really good or is fun to look at. But when we stay there or we stay at the doomsday kind of narrative, we suddenly rendered ourselves out of the agency of choice. And I think that's kind of what I'm hearing you say in the smaller examples yeah. of life. It also applies for the bigger examples yeah. of life. Oh, yeah. And food. I mean, look at, look at the situation in North America today. I don't know if I'm going to get the figures right, but is it like 66% of people are overweight slash obese? So what this is telling me is that people have disconnected from their sensorial intelligence. Um, they've delegated uh, you know, their senses to advertising and marketing, and they're letting themselves be tricked by um, combinations of foods and things that are made to make them kind of, you know, want it. You know, like one thing I don't do much of anymore is uh, I don't eat too much bread now during my meals, um, which in France is like, a, you know, a heresy. I mean, I may get shot or hanged, right? <laughs> um, and I do, yeah, I do. I'm not so draconian, but, <laughs> but you know, that, uh, that's, you know, helps me with my, my body and my shape. And, you know, you realize after a little while that you're not so attached to certain things. And this is, I think, what gives us the agency when we have the lack of it and the missing out of it, that we're then able to come back with choice. If we never break that pattern, you know, of, uh, of having all this convenience and all of this uh, fast, fast kind of foods and prepackaged things and delivery stuff and, you know, uh, we start to lose the appreciation for what it takes to nourish ourselves. And when it's cheaper, particularly in North America, it seems it's cheaper to eat out than it is to almost go shopping and eat in. And that's a crazy balance to have to try and um, work through to get to a, like a real healthy uh, way of eating. But I'm totally with you, Julian. I mean, it's, for me, it's like, I want choice. Right. I don't want to just be impulsively making decisions, small and large in my life, that are, you know, overly inconsidered. Mm. I like to use the analogy of, if I can just take a second, um, to yeah. use the analogy of Dionysus, if you know Dionysus. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of fascination with Dionysus, who was the uh, son of Zeus, and I can't remember the earthly. A woman, it was a hero, maybe. And so anyway, he's sort of a semi-god. He ends up being the creator of wine. God Zeus bless him. Semele. Yeah. And uh, he, uh, he is the, at the origin of the word ecstasy. And he started doing parties, you know, that were all about dancing. And there was probably some sex and some other things going on. And at some point, this all got shut down by the rational evolution of the world he was too much of a too much on the say on the pleasure side right like the purpose had kind of left it and for me this is how someone like jim morrison has ended 
um, you know, where, I mean, his concerts were like Dionysian, you know, adventures, maybe similar like Jim Belushi or John, John Belushi. Um, you know, some other people where it's like the pleasure thing became the purpose in itself. And it wasn't the pleasure with a purpose and like pleasure with purpose. And we can get very lost down that path. And that's, I think, when the addiction and pleasure gets a bad word. And this is when we, we consume and waste so much in the world, food-wise even. I cannot believe the waste around food yeah. when we can nourish ourselves with so much less. And if we start appreciating it more and savoring it more and eating better, tastier things, we get satiated more uh, meaningfully. And so like for me, all of these things are very, very associated to changing the planet, starting with ourselves, our families, our friends, the places we choose to go and eat, the places we go choose to, to go on, on holiday. I mean, do you want to go to a convenient filled um, holiday experience like Club Med, you know, or, or Disney or something? I'm not against all of that. But uh, on the other side, what if you went somewhere a little bit more exotic where you would actually stretch yourself and your senses like India, which is a very challenging place for a lot of people to go to. And again, it's like real life. Let's use real life to grow us so we can be better human beings, make better choices without being imposed upon by the media and others' choices around us. And we develop such a self-agency that you know we're not affected that somebody takes three coffees after lunch that's their choice i'm not taking any you know but that's my choice so that's really it's a big uh, it's a big piece i'm really happy you touched on that here for everyone yeah you know i i like connecting the small with the big and you know your metaphors are spot on dionysos is an interesting story um just to verify google that you were kind of right on about the statistics and there's a 2015 2016 statistic here which said 40 percent of adults in North America were obese and an additional 30% were overweight. Wow. Um, so that's, that's, that's almost all of the population, right? I mean, um, France is not that much better. I mean, I think oh, a lot of yeah. first world countries are not that much better. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. No, of course it's, it's, yeah. it's just the state of our uh, consciousness, the way we consume food and the, the way you relate to consequences. I think this is the one thing that, you know, is important for me to, bring into this conversation now that we talk about choice quite a bit is choice is very important and i think choice is a huge part of freedom we could even argue philosophically if this this is like who we truly are is our ability to choose uh you know um but the consequences that result of a choice i think this is where we as a society have a lot to learn still because you know anything you choose will have a consequence if you choose for or against this specific meal or dating this specific person or creating a specific policy of, you know everything has a positive and a negative consequence or like a spectrum mm -hmm. of positive and negative consequences yeah and so i think where i wanted to go with that is there's two points one us you know having a hard time reconciling what we call negative consequences so kind of looking for the golden Easter egg of choices, the choice that outrules any other choices. I think it doesn't exist simply. Anything we do will have um, good impact and possibly even some impact we, we, we then learn from again, right? And the, the other piece is that if we look at, you know, you, you mentioned the Club Med example, maybe that's a good idea, but then if you were to 
see all the consequences that result out of you being there, the trail of garbage, the trail of global supply chain, um, maybe you would choose differently. And so I think mm. the transparency of consequences is a big missing link in our current consumption behavior. Um, I just wanted to reflect all this back and throw it out there and see what you have to say on it. I think you're right. Yeah, and it's, it's uh, where we're, we're ill-informed or poorly informed about, you know, about that. And, it, you know, and we just go to kind of, the, I guess it's exaggerating, but, you know, a lot of people go to the, uh, the, the more convenient, easy, um, you know, way. And, you know, the world has been very catered to, to bring us to that, to, to that point. And again, it's, you know, it's like in everything else in life, if you raise your standard about how you are going to allow things or decide things, you know, we can all start to change um, the world. And I think food is such a, such a great way to do it. You know, and someone like Michael Pollan, who I'm sure you've heard of, you know, around food is just, you know, masterful in, in, Fun to in watch, showing. That's for sure. Yeah. Sorry. I said fun to watch, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. You know, and just kind of teaching us uh, about the value of um, eating uh, properly and not being tricked into eating stuff that's supposedly healthy or not. And, and anyway, at the end, he finishes his, you know, his, uh, his book and the PBS program that was based on, I think it was in, in defense of food. You know, it, it goes to a, a family in France inside their apartment, just for them sitting around enjoying a dinner together and savoring and appreciating and, and laughing and all the pleasure and like, you know, reconnection at a very, uh, you know, basic fundamental level. And, you know, I, I do wish that food could be used in this way more to gather diverse peoples together to experience things that stretch them uh, to not just, you know, same old, same old. And again, use that as a mechanism to break down the barriers and allow people's consciousness to actually expand and say, wow, there are different um, aspects to life and contrasts that I didn't even know existed. Uh, you know, maybe I can explore this more. And suddenly we start to get curious about our neighbors and our different countries and we travel to more places. And finally we get a passport to travel and, you know, all of these things. And the world kind of starts to get better because we open up. We don't just have a mono, like a mono, uh, uh, monotone vision, like a, like a black and white, which like I was looking at you and me, look at you, all in black and me, all in white. <laughs> this is not a black and white podcast. <laughs> everyone who is not seeing the video of this, yeah, I'm actually wearing a black hat, a black t-shirt, and David is wearing a, a white shirt. So we're, we're the yin and the yang. Of, uh, of this conversation. <laughs> There's lots of color between us. <laughs> There's lots, lots of color of between us from uh, Victoria in Canada yeah. all the way to Paris and France. David, I have a few more questions for you and one of them is around trust. And so just for you on a personal mm -hmm. note, what is required to experience trust with people, with the things you buy uh, in the world in general? Well, I'm very focused on uh, um, having uh, on one side the benefit of the doubt and living from an open space and an open heart. 
and at the same time using curiosity to not just take the superficial value of things sometimes and you know again like the more time we can spend with somebody the more times we can buy that wine we like at the wine shop and taste it several times to see actually if it really digests as well as just one off and i think there's a little bit of repetitive experience that we need uh, in in contact with people in choices of where we go to eat and these types of things that allows us to have kind of a repeated um, qualitative experience that kind of tells us, well, actually, I am pretty uh, right about that, uh, you know, or I have a good impression of that. And so, uh, you know, I'm pretty, I'm not quite a super connector. And when it comes to meeting people, I when I feel something, I feel something meaningful with somebody, or I'm very drawn to somebody. I am, you know, insanely committed and engaged to follow up, which most people are not, because uh, this is how you get to know somebody. This is how you start to build the trust. This is how you start to open up. This is how you start to be able to bring value and, you know, share vulnerability and actually come to see if there is something really of, of uh, value uh, and trust there. So, yeah, and again, use your senses. You know, if you feel something or, you know, these whole things about like smelling, you know, there's, there's things we sense, but we're so closed off to, to what they're telling us, right? You know, you're like with somebody and they kind of make little hairs come up on your neck or something. I mean, it's maybe a sign that, mm-hmm. you know, or your heart's beating a bit or like you're sweating a little bit or, you know, there's something energetically coming off of them that doesn't feel right but if you're completely closed off and stuck in a rational from here up or lost in thought you're not going to be able to you're not going to catch this yeah you're not going to catch it there's all these signs there's all these things going on but again it's like if you've closed off all these other intelligences inside you i think you're not going to get a, a deep wide broad you know five-dimensional kind of experience of mm. uh, well that that's what it comes somebody. back to right is like we are not the body, we're not the mind, but we perceive the body, we perceive the mind. And so if we only perceive, well, if we perceive it, and then are we actually perceiving it or are we only like taking it for granted as like this machine we put in food and pills and then it wakes up and goes to bed. And if, if we do that, then it's pretty easy to be lost or stuck in the neck upward and the mind only. But when you train, as you say, um, your, your body as an intelligence center, your gut as an intelligence center, your heart as an intelligence center, and, and obviously the mind as like a masterful kind of switching station between them, a complete different perception kind of emerges. Yeah, and I, I you always use the metaphor also like, you know, don't bring your credit card, all right? So go window shopping, don't bring your credit card you know, go meet somebody feels, you know, amazing. Maybe you want to pursue or something, but you don't need to spend or cash or invest uh, right away. You can take a pause and see how it feels the next day. You can, um, you know, I'm not against serendipitousness. I mean, gosh, I create events where people come together and they, you know, want to get married, start a business. I mean, there's all that happens, but it only starts to happen when people get away from the shield and the mask that's preventing them from actually feeling really what they most want, who it's they are. Massive, yeah, that's a really good when one. they get this power, right? They get this power, 
and suddenly they meet someone else who also has it and it's like this is like crazy consciousness thing going on and yeah it's we're just so so disconnected i mean i like I to think, tell the story yeah. please tell the story I, I i'm just going to add one one piece to it i think the serendipitousness that you're pointing out is only truly visible when you're already in practice alignment if you're not in practice alignment, serendipitous is just another coincidence or something, you know, it's a chance, but, but you will feel it, resonate with it and detect it when alignment is something you're practicing regularly. But I'm curious about is, your story. <laughs> and this is, this is really hard for people to be serendipitous. And, you know, even going back to the pleasure thing, how many people do I meet? They're like, they don't, they don't really feel like they allow themselves to experience pleasure enough in their lives. Um, they grew up in maybe a Protestant family or something, you know, uh, you know, or some somebody very, very rational, like a family of engineers. Oh, God, I'm sorry, engineers, you know, whatever it is, um, or just parents that were not present or something. And, you know, it's it's a it's a long road to get back to actually allowing yourself to be because the pleasure part is a be part. It's almost a feminine energy in a lot of ways. Uh, but it's this sense that you actually let your senses you know absorb and you know let things in not be so fearful be a little bit more trusting with uh with life itself so just i was going to make just a couple of comments about like like in life if it, you know the the ecology of human connection would be so much better for me if two things would happen one is we thank people in everyday life for the things they do that they're supposed to be doing. So the the car stops while you're crossing the street. I'm always like pointing at the guy going, you know, um, I think people need this validation, want this validation. We start to feel like we're in this together. You don't just walk across the street when they stop because they're supposed to. And like, you don't even acknowledge them. It's like, they're not even there. I'm like, wait a minute, we're all in this together. Like. He could have killed you, right? I mean, there are people getting killed by buses and cars and bike lanes here all the time. I'm pretty sensitive to this. I hit a pedestrian once. So I think that's a really key part to making the ecology of the world better is that. And also people who are doing, you know, tough jobs for us today. I'm not saying you're going to the hospital where there's crazy people doing, oh my God, you know, God bless these people. We were clapping for them at eight o'clock every night here. I love that. I wish it was still going on. Uh, but this idea that, you know, 11 o'clock at night, you're going to a great party with all these consciously wealthy people, whatever your thing is, you know, in a boat, in a house, in a condo, with the sea, whatever. And you're buying a really nice bottle of champagne and there's somebody at the cash register there. That person, you better make them laugh. You better give them a sense of humanity. You better show how you savor and appreciate them. And you are happy that they're there contributing and doing what they can. You have no idea what their life is. What if you gave them a little moment of respite, a little bit of joy, a little bit of sensorial intention, connection, lifefulness. Share your wealth because we all have a lot of it. Don't just be lost in transactional in the everything, the every little thing of life. And I believe that life would get way more, um, you know, friendly supportive we don't have to wait for a drama to happen while we actually you know start talking to each other and exchanging and again sometimes just a gesture is enough you don't have to get into a long conversation who has time for that right i love that you went there david i think this is super important um 
in the times of social distancing more than ever. You know, it, it doesn't always need to be uh, the longest and, and most epic interaction. It, it's sometimes really the small things that count where you're just giving someone else this uh, feeling, this understanding, this presence of like, I see you, you see me. We're all the same, really. Thank you. Goodbye. I totally, I totally agree. One of the things that, you know, struck me really positively when I moved to Canada a long while ago, in Canada, people say thank you to the bus driver when the bus stops. So the bus stops and the door opens and at the back door, you, everyone is, thank you, and it leaves the bus. And the first few times I was like, you guys are crazy. Like, why are you doing that? And then after a while I realized <laughs> it's kind of nice. It, like you leave the bus feeling like happy, you know, and for the driver too. I mean, that's a, that's a tough Jeez. job. It's I love that day. story. Yeah. I love it. It validates what I just said. <laughs> well, Canadians of course, are you know, Canadians are the nicest people on the planet. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, can, I can second that. That's Talking okay. about the planet, David, I have one, one last question for you in our conversation today, and I'm happy for you to share any other stories or anecdotes. Um, my question is a little bit bigger picture. So if we were to now zoom out on the timeline for, you know, viewing earth beyond the year 2020 in a seven generational point of view so into the future seven generations mm. my question to you is what's your vision your dream your desire for our planet and for our species um you know in the context of us being ancestors for the future seven generations mm. no, that's a powerfully beautiful gigantic question mm, just give me a moment You know, I, I always come back to to food, Julian, because I uh, I feel that around food, I've had the the greatest human connections of my life. And uh, when we're in a pleasurable moment, we let down our guard and we share with each other. And I feel if we could create more opportunities to be around you know delicious gorgeous food that's we're a little bit more consciously present to it and we bring around those tables uh, people from different social categories on um, different races uh, you know sort of the united colors of benetton of all the different aspects uh, that make you know life worth living together and to somehow in a pleasurable moment intentionally deliberately create opportunities where like like once a month like there's a, a block party dinner uh, in every neighborhood around the world and like people actually get to know each other and suddenly like like this the fabric of the world starts to heal itself through pleasurable moments around food maybe everyone brings something delicious that's from their own country uh, and that we start to get curious about each other a little bit more and a little bit less like, oh, the Puerto Ricans are having their weekend and the, you know, Italians are having theirs and, and particularly to do it in a, even starting with a neighborhood level, but then I would enlarge in it. For me, it's like, I just always want to like enlarge in the circle of people we bring in and invite, you know, uh, so that we really start to create more of a, uh, more of an appreciation of of what makes this world so amazing. 
I'll give you one silly example from my life. When I first came to Europe 30 years ago next year, uh, I came, I grew up in, you know, California, Southern California, and had no idea there was a world out there really. I had, you know, pretty well cultured, educated parents, but I got on a plane when my ticket came to Europe. And after three months, I traveled around with my friends, about four friends around Europe, as some Americans do when they get out of college. And they ended up leaving at some point, and I was alone in a village in Spain, southern Spain, called Ronda. And it's a medieval village with a I like ravine. Do you like Ronda? With like a ravine, uh, you know, this is a crazy, it's, crazy. It's, it's uh, quite the spectacle. Yeah, it's a quite yeah. the spectacle, extraordinary place. And I'm there alone, and I'm like, well, you know, let's, I'm going to go out dancing or go to a bar or something. So uh, I went to some underground bar thing and I go inside and it's basically only Spanish people that I can tell. And the whole night for three or four hours, all they played was Spanish music. And on top of it, everyone is singing the words to like all the songs, right? This is pop dance. And I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, the cultural hegemony of certain countries in this world are, are not helping the inclusiveness uh, of, of peoples to get curious about other cultures. And this is why it's so valuable to, uh, to travel. But again, I wanna go back to food and I'll finish with there, is that when you use food, it's a way to travel to another country, open up a connection to how people dress, live, can start to get curious about these people that you're kind of afraid of and start to understand them better and suddenly we become more brothers and sisters and suddenly like we're we're not always you know in conflict or protectiveness or mistrust uh, i think that more delicious meals around food with mixed people or bringing people in the communities and stuff on a more systemic way uh would be for me one of the ways that the world could heal itself beautiful Thank you for sharing this. There is an idea that you shared that it made me smile, like full body smile. It, <laughs> it's this idea that imagine like hundreds of millions of people, maybe billions of people having a, a shared dinner date on a Friday or Saturday, no matter where in the world at 7 p.m. You're part of the global dinner. And no matter yeah, where totally. you, are, you can just join by, by doing it with your own, with your own meal. But but that, you know, in totally the global dinner, the, the global annual dinner. global dinner, and like you're in your, you're in your community, you know, and yeah, amazing. Very yeah, interesting. That's the yeah. idea. I'm all for, I'm all for crazy ideas like that. I think it's, it's what connects us into our humanity, into our bodies, into our shared uh, reality. And like, yeah, as you said, going beyond the hegemony of this, like what we're used to and what is already ours in that sense. David, thank you so much for your time, for your insights, for your very unique way of, you know, unpacking how to um, be a, a steward and a regenerative leader. I think it's, it's very powerful to go there through the simple things like food, like the example of washing hands that like we just emerged in our, our episode earlier. Uh, thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Julian. Thanks for listening, and here we are again. This is your host, Julian. 
I hope you truly enjoyed this episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast and received some insights and knowledge for your life, relationships and business. If you love Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, make sure to subscribe, leave a review that really allows this podcast to reach a broader audience and share it with a friend. Let me also remind you that this podcast is currently entirely self-funded. I'm a transformational coach and mentor, a breathwork guide, and want to offer all my listeners a full 10% off my private coaching work. That is as much as $500 for a three-month program, and this discount applies for all one-on-one coaching offers, as well as some select coaching groups that I host in person. If you're curious and interested, make sure to visit the website greenplanet-blueplanet.com and click Work with Julian. Let me tell you a little bit more about my planetary purpose and leadership programs. I am committed to accelerating our human tribe, going deep into unconditioning the blocking beliefs and blind spots, enabling your gifts and clarity to amplify for aligned business, healthy relationships and overall presence with life. I have worked with hundreds of people across the world, either one-on-one in small coaching groups online or in person at events. It is my gift to boost authentic confidence and guide you while asking the deepest questions that get you to address your dormant potential. I am an activator and catalyst for those who are ready to step into the highest version of themselves. We live in unique times and let me tell you from experience, having a coach makes a massive difference. I specialize on supporting successful entrepreneurs in unpacking their purpose and joy of life. I do work with startup entrepreneurs and artists as well and on request, I host individual breathwork mentorships. If you want to learn more, how to support the show, or suggest a guest, you can also simply send me an email. If you want to take advantage of the offer I just mentioned and claim the 10% discount, simply book a free consultation with me through my website, that is greenplanet-blueplanet.com mentorships, and mention the end of episode discount, and I'll give the discount code to you right here, right now. It's 808. That's right. That's your code right here, right now, 808. Mention it to me in our free consultation that you can book by the website and 10% are yours. That being said, thank you so much for listening today. Have yourself an amazing day. Don't forget to hit subscribe, review the show, and share it with a friend. Mm-hmm.